Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another edition of the Influence Continuum. And as you know, as a regular listener, perhaps, uh, I do a lot of content about undue influence and destructive cults and how much they hurt the human spirit. And I so am excited to introduce you to Christy Nelson uh, because I read her book. I actually listened to you read the book. It was even better. So I strongly recommend the, the audio. The name of the book is called Wake Up Grateful, The Transformative Practice of Taking Nothing for Granted. Um, and I'm going to do a short intro, if I may, Christy. You are the executive director of a network for grateful living, and your life work has been in the nonprofit sector, focused on leading, inspiring, and strengthening organizations committed to progressive social and spiritual change. And your your story was about discovering you had cancer and uh, just undergoing a stage four lymph uh, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I had. I was stage two, but it's, I still needed surgery and three months of chemo and 21 radiations. Mm -hmm. So I, and it was, you know, it was a real shock to have cancer. I have cancer. Right. And uh, for me, I relied on a clinical hypno hypnotist psychologist to help me get through all my treatments. So I would see this man, uh, Max, uh, weekly, and he'd make a recording to just lower my fear and lower my stress Lovely. and prepare me for all of the ordeals mm -hmm. of, the, uh, uh, of it. Um, I can say so much more about your background. Uh, you've been involved with Kripalu. You were leading the Regional Women's Fund. Um, I'm going to let you talk about, about it, but you are wonderful. <laughs> I'm so excited to meet you. Thank you so and, much. And, um, waking up grateful is so simple and so hard to do, but let me pass the, the microphone to you, Christy, and, and please, um, share mm. with my listeners mm. about your story and what you want to teach. Thank today. you, Stephen. Well, I'll, I'll make a little go at it and then we'll see where we go from here. You know, um, great. What comes to mind and all of this is just unrehearsed and I never do the same thing twice, but what comes to mind based on what you're saying is that, um, I started the book with this line. Uh, the introduction is not dying changed everything. And that's a pretty wild line. And I, you know, I've often thought, God, was that the right line to start the book with? Was it not? But I think it's so powerful because it's uh, an opportunity for perspective and reframing every single day that we are alive. So every day that we wake up, we didn't die. And that is something that literally hundreds of thousands of people right now in this moment would give absolutely anything to have this day that we have. And yet mm -hmm. we tend so much to thumb our noses at it, to wish it was different, to want a different life. And mostly just to take it for granted, mostly just to go through the day half asleep, half awake, um, somewhat begrudgingly often and, and envious and all the different things that we're prone to. And it's not that those things are bad it's that they're much better to hold against a backdrop 
of feeling really grateful for the privilege of being alive another day because we just have zero idea when that privilege is going to be over. And it could literally be for me today. It could be this afternoon. It could be tomorrow. And so it's a radical concept. I think it's pretty wild and out there just to accept and work with the fact of our mortality. And I think it's mm -hmm. a powerful invitation to being more fully alive and being more joyfully alive, generously alive, gratefully alive. That's it. Yeah, and uh, as as you're talking, I was getting back in my mind to a a, a near fatal van crash I had April twenty third, nineteen seventy six, where I fell asleep at the wheel of a Mooney van and woke up as I was smashing into the back of a tractor trailer truck at eighty miles an hour. Wow. And it took them like a half an hour to pry me out of the wreckage. And they were like, it's a miracle you're alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the whole thing was crushed. Yeah. And so in my mind of activism for 46 years, standing up to big cults and everything else, that idea that I, I was given more time yeah. yes. on earth, yeah. what am I going to do with it? I think, right. And so I think we, you know, the book is called Wake Up Grateful because I think actually, Stephen, we respond to wake up calls like that sometimes. And sometimes we don't uh, at our peril. Mm. And, you know, honestly, I think sometimes things happen in life. And I talk all the time about the car accidents that aren't worse and where you're sitting on the side of the road and you go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm alive. This is the most amazing thing in the whole world. I'm never going to scoff at another moment of my life. And then you forget that in about 12 seconds, you know? So I think, <laughs> I think, you know, my feeling is that when we have those experiences, what I would call wake up calls towards whatever they are. And a lot of times it comes through illness. It comes through loss, our loss of other people we love. It comes through, you know, it can come through getting out of a cult. You could say that, like, what are the things that give us a second chance on life? And so, you know, mm -hmm. this whole idea of getting a second chance or sometimes a third or a fourth, there's a point at which those chances run out. But every mm. day that we wake up in the morning, every day we're alive is a second chance. And so that's what I try to cultivate is that awareness that it doesn't have to mm -hmm. take this radical wake up call. It doesn't have to take almost losing my life like a, you know, a hair's distance from death, because right. in truth, there's so much to appreciate about this opportunity to be alive as it is. And uh, it's nice not to have to go through those huge wake up calls to remember what's important to us to live in a way that acknowledges what really matters most deeply to us, really to be fully alive to the day and to the people around us. And to me, I think the most radical practice of all, and I say it all the time, but it is so hard to take nothing for granted because you just literally live in kind of a blown out, awestruck state that life is so incredible that to sit here in technology that you and I now have access to that was not around five, 10 years ago, right. Um, it mm -hmm. doesn't take a whole generation to change our lives in terms of what we have access to. So just the number of things that are extraordinary flowers like here, oh, I have, uh, you know, just, just, mm. and if we allow ourselves to notice and drink in one of the principles of, um, grateful living is the ordinary is extraordinary. 
Mm-hmm. So if we allow ourselves to really drink that in and live like, wow, the ordinary is extraordinary. If I walk through my day, what are the ordinary things that I'm going to be allow myself to really be moved by, including the mm-hmm. people in my life and maybe most especially the people in my life, um, you know, just to, to not take any of it for granted. Right. And as I was listening to the the book and I was looking forward to the next the next page and the next chapter, mm-hmm. I was just reflecting on how many of my clients and my friends who've been through terrible, horrific, you know, life challenging experiences, including cults, they um are cynical and they they've lost a joy mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and appreciation. And as I was listening to your whole book, I'm like, this is a spiritual practice for atheists. Like anybody, <laughs> yes. I mean, any anyway, agnostic. Yes. I mean, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Jew or whatever. This this transcends ideology. I agree. Ex- except that it's about being present, being in your body, yes. feeling the locus of control within yourself. Yes not being taken over by negative thoughts or negative feelings and and establishing a, a harmony within yourself and whatever's happening and as i was listening i was like this is very zen mm-hmm. and that was before you, you were introducing brother david's work mm-hmm. um and i'd love for you to talk about you know his practice sure. and how that's informed sure. you too so um I mean, just so people know, I think maybe my background is also important before I talk about Brother David. I come to this, oh, I come to this work um, having been raised without church, um, without any faith mm-hmm. um, practice at mm-hmm. all. And my parents mm-hmm. were so incredible and smart, I think, because what they said to me was, um, we believe that your relationship to those kinds of choices in your life about what you're going to believe, that those are adult choices. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I have forever honored them for that in me because it allowed me to develop and to explore and to navigate and to be, and to, um, to reject and to doubt Mm -hmm. and to embrace and to really be a discerning, um, a a discerning consumer (laughs) in some ways of, Mm -hmm. of what I was going to believe. And you're right that it transcends ideology. I think that's super, super important because people are attracted to this way of living, this practice, because they they want to live more fully, more joyfully, more present. As soon as they recognize, it's like, yes, I want to be more here for what life is right now, because so many of us, especially if we've been traumatized or hurt, um, if we've been... Um, hijacked in our own thinking or been abused in a variety of ways in relationship and stuff, we protect our hearts. We shut down. It's such a typical reaction Mm. as opposed Mm -hmm. to how do I navigate life in a way where I can open my heart and still stay safe and trust myself as a consumer Mm. of my choices, as someone who's going to be wise in what I take in and what I allow to influence me. So, 
So right. Brother David Steindl-Rast is a Benedictine, this really radically funky, amazing guy who's 96 years old. <laughs> he's 96. He's alive still. He's in Austria. He's writing. And one of the things that I, I loved about him and that made him so embraceable for me in terms of what he was positioning about life Mm -hmm. He came to gratefulness through the Second World War and surviving bombings and coming mm. out of these bombings. And just like you and I are saying about these near miss accidents and these cancer experiences and even cult experiences, the things that don't kill us. Right. Mm -hmm. So he came out of these basements with all these friends. They were teenagers. Right. And he would say, I've never seen a bluer sky. The joy that came as a contrast when I realized that I could actually be alive into this moment, it was like, he got that. And so there was something about um, embracing death for him and his mortality at a young age that really woke him up to living gratefully. Mm. So, and mm -hmm. he's very close to major Jewish leaders, Buddhist leaders, Hindu leaders, um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, Dalai Lama, you know, um, Desmond Tutu. He's one of these people who has been given um, wide berth to explore and research and um, have scholarships and in, in interfaith kinds of ways of thinking. And that, mm -hmm. that makes me trust that because anything that has that openness, the open mm -hmm. edges and the open boundaries to exploration for me allows for all kinds of interpretation. And that's what I did with what his teachings were. Um, Stephen, mm. as I actually went into this and I said, there is a very secular more, more psych, more, not, you can call it spiritual, but you can also call it very well-being based. It's really a recipe mm. for well-being, a recipe yes. for aliveness. And it's really held in this way of how do we live our lives gratefully, but it's not a formula and it's not a prescription. And that's what I think is most awesome about this and why you're interested in it. And, and I'm so excited to be interviewing here with you is I think that the people like me who reject the ideas of formulas for all people, anything that's one size fits all or a prescription that's one size fits mm -hmm. all, this makes sense because people would say, well, how do I do it? And I'd say, well, how do you live your life? You know, it's about you and where this fits for you and where you can live more gratefully and what you want to wake up to. There isn't one path. And you don't sit on a cushion, and have one mantra. You don't sit down and have to close your eyes for 45 minutes because that wouldn't work for me. You know, there's no. Doesn't work for no me anymore. I've done any of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes it accessible um, for a lot of different types of people. And it's got some deep spiritual roots in a way that I think makes it kind of trustworthy because it's, it's been tested over a long period of time and has a kind mm -hmm. of scholarship to it. And, an, uh, brother David being such an elder, but then I think it's highly interpretable and we love that. We love everybody saying, what's my way of living gratefully. And that that's only the best thing that could possibly happen. Right. And I can't help, but note that so many people are so worried. They're worried about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. They're worried about politics. Yes. They're worried about the economy. The climate. And, you know, <laughs> and we talk about the, the climate earth, right? crisis, exactly. especially. And that, you know, and the idea isn't to, you know, make it go away right. and not feel like you have a commitment to help fight uh, the global climate yeah. uh, uh, 
people who are promoting disinformation and hoaxes and stuff because they have fossil fuels, et cetera, and other dictatorships. Um, it is really, I don't know what I'm trying to, to get at. I do. It is, okay, please <laughs> take it over. It's a both and. Because yes. there are people who say, I'm against positive psychology as a replacement for, you know, that you only think positive thoughts. That's right there. We've got a problem because it doesn't acknowledge yep. reality. So, so to exactly. me, part of what Grateful Living does that's so of interest to you and the folks who are interested in what you're looking at is that Grateful Living basically says, we are, there's a, there's a quote in something I wrote recently that I think is super important. Um, and I'm going to, I always try to remember because I can never kind of say it extemporaneously the way that I wrote it. So it's, um, we do not betray our concerns for the world when we fill our hearts with joy and love and our eyes with wonder. We nourish our capacity to attend to our concerns for the world. Because mm -hmm. when we feel so disempowered and so depressed and so undone by everything, which I can struggle with as much as anybody, we are so mm -hmm. ineffective. Like I have so little impact that I can make when I just feel like, okay, this is just, so what happens is when I am able to balance all those places of deep concern for the world with joy and wonder and love and being grateful for the, the moment that's here, right. then I'm much more attuned to opportunities to make a difference. I'm much more, I have more energy. And you think about what is it that propels us, you know, to be able to make a difference mm -hmm. in our lives. I think it's those mm -hmm. kinds of things. It doesn't usually come from the deep, dark funk that we tend to sit around in when we watch the news and go, oh my God, everything is so dire and dour that there's nothing to do about it. So we say, right. fill your eyes with wonder, see the ordinary as extraordinary, notice those things, and then preserve what you love, protect what you love, do your social work in the world from a place of love and wanting to, um, I just think, preserve and protect the things that you care about and are grateful for. Right. And I love that you have humility and honesty and say, I struggle with this myself. I've been teaching this for years, but it's not an easy practice. And I have to keep bringing myself back to that love and that, that beingness, that presence. And um, so right. You are so right. And thank you, because I think anybody who says they don't struggle is for me just a big red flag, right? <laughs> I don't want to learn. Yep. I don't want to learn anything from somebody who's not fully human, right? I'm interested yeah. in learning people from people who are on the human journey and who are talking about how challenging it is to combat all the forces in our world that want to take us, you know, right. all kinds of directions and stuff. So I think, I think this is what's important is, yeah, it takes a lot of work and it's worth every iota of effort. Yeah. And you were not idolizing brother David at all. You were just doing the attribution yeah. that any good academic scholar would do. Well, thank you. Hey, this was a major influence in, in, you know, the evolution of you know, my thinking and being this now. Absolutely. And it's also, um, it's another, it's not a next level. It's not hierarchical. It's just saying, here's this wellspring of scholarship that can inform quality of life. Who are we to question it in its entirety when 
open for interpretation or channeled through other different people or lived in different ways or talked about in different ways, it, it speaks to people who are, it's, it's just beautiful. Basically, it's about life is precious, life is short, what are you going to do about it? And it really makes sense to acknowledge that life is precious and short and to say, yep. okay, hmm, am I going to, you know, just lie under my bed and just wait until it's all over? Or am I going to say, wow, this day is so full of possibility. I want to live this day. Like this wakes me up to yeah. want to live, to really realize that that's what it is. Yeah. And you share in your book uh, about when you wake up to acknowledge Hey, I'm awake. Yeah, right. I have fingers right. that work. Right. I have eyes that can see and skin that can feel and exactly. just be so 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 beautiful, really. And Thank um you. and it's 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 in a way what I teach my clients, I'm a psychotherapist is to be present in your body because mind control is a dissociative disorder, mm. the way I think about mm. it. You're, you're being programmed with an alternate identity and belief system and, and not mm. connected mm. to your bodiness that we are biopsychosocial beings <laughs> who inhabit you know, uh, our, ourselves. That's so cool because, and I haven't really thought about that before, but you know, where does the intuition, the intuition resides on a somatic level, in the body on so many levels, right? When I hear something mm -hmm. that rings as the truth, I experience it physically. If you only filter things through the mind, the mind doesn't, I don't think, allow us to register in the same way. So if you, if you get cut off from your body, and if that's mm -hmm. the prescription is to kind of get cut off from getting, just go through your mind, then you're going to miss those signals that say, this isn't feeling true for me, or I'm having big, deep questions here that aren't being addressed, or I'm right. So you're much more susceptible, I, yep. I would say, to, to defying and denying yourself. And, right. and so there's something about living really into that and trusting the intuition that the body holds that's yep. so powerful and also dangerous in a good way, <laughs> you know? Well, it's dangerous in terms of the uh, the the power uh, yeah. uh, uh, entities that want to make us consumers and buy products and think it will make us happy. Totally. When buying products are empty, it's an empty promise. Yeah, I I mean I I don't know a lot about how you talk, but to me, the cult of consumerism may be the largest cult of all. Right, and in this country. We are all so susceptible and, and the things, you know, I like to think of contentment as a radical proposition. Again, this word radical, which is kind of like the place where powerful and dangerous meet, right? So transformative mm. is that it, it actually, it actually challenges so much of the, the power systems that are in place or whatever. If we walk mm. around feeling fully sufficient, fully content, um, we're way more likely to be generous rather than consumptive. We're, the more mm -hmm. we feel that there's sufficiency in our lives, the more likely we are to want to, you know, walk right past, you know, windows and stores and online ads and television and all that kind of stuff and just kind of say, I know what matters to me. And it's not there because it's enough. It's enough to be alive. It's enough to be here. And 
on some level, when you start really embracing the ordinary as extraordinary, it hugely reduces the number of things you might need because when you really relate to each thing that you have as this kind of mind-blowing, miraculous thing, like, wow, I have this the shirt. And like, think of how many people were involved in making the shirt and getting the shirt so that I could right. wear it. And, you know, the dyes and the people who wove and the machine and the thing and ship people ship things. And so when you really get into a relationship with understanding and studying what is in your life, mm. I think it makes yeah. us less susceptible to wanting more. That whole idea that more, yeah. better and different are going to solve everything. Yeah. So in, in my last book, I talk about Edward Bernays. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, do you, no. Does that name ring a bell? No. He's the was the nephew of Freud mm -hmm. and he was the first, he wrote a book called Propaganda in 1928. Wow, he, he was involved in World War I to help message, you know, uh, and mobilize people to war and sell bonds, etc. But he he became um, the godfather of PR. Mm -hmm. And his his whole thing was create a need and then you can then people will want to buy the product. Sure. And and um and, and there's a wonderful documentary by Adam Curtis called The Century of the Self. Mm. If you want mm. a really uh, deep um, write down. Uh, mm -hmm. overview of how we got to where we are now. Yeah. Because now we're in an information overload thing where we're addicted to our smartphones right. and our platforms, where the engineers of the social media are deliberately. Oh, yeah making dopamine hits oh yeah you know, oh where and uh, uh, is life you know do i want to text to someone who's in the next room or should i get up and walk over right well we've and forgotten and also COVID, i think made it so much worse because i think we yeah. forgot how to be in human interactions on so many levels i think we don't we forgot to want them you know sometimes i mm. realize oh I have neighbors I can go walk over and go see. There was, you know, two years where really we hardly left the house. Honestly, it feels like on so mm. many levels and, and everybody was scary and we masks on and stuff. And there's good reason for all that. And it's also important to remember the agency that we do have to create the lives that we do want. And, you know, yeah. there's all these people, you know, and we all fall prey to it. I mean, I sit in front of a computer screen so many hours a day. It's just ridiculous because that's what my work Guilty. is. That's what my work is, right? Guilty. Um, and I also try to be really discerning about where I put my attention within that, within that place of not having so much of a choice about how I work in my job, um, where I put my attention is really yeah. my choice. So, try. you know, nobody, I don't know many people who have a relationship to social media, who are happier and feel more of a sense of belonging on a deep level than they did before they got into oh, social Oh, there's media. research. Yeah. In fact, I have a guest that I'm lining up who uh, did a book about the damage of social media yeah. on children. Yeah brain damage in yeah. the sense of, of not developing so the intuition and reading cues, not looking at a face on a screen, but actually we're picking up information and connection and mirror yes. neurons by being in each other's presence. 100% true. And as a therapist, I can tell you hands down, 
because I do stuff on Zoom and whatever, but hands down, I can't get that connection and help people really transform mm -hmm. without being present with them, mm -hmm. without being in the same room and just them feeling um, uh, intuitively and in their gut. Yeah. That what, what I'm saying in terms of them connecting to their disparate parts that may have been dismantled or compartmentalized um, because they were corporally punished as a child or whatever. Yeah. And I think so maybe the maybe the lesson or the message is really it's both and because Zoom has expanded our lives. We can do things like this. What the heck? It's just incredible, right? So to mm. appreciate these kinds of opportunities, but not to do it forsaking all these other opportunities we have to actually connect human to human and, you know, that it Definitely. doesn't take the place of it. And um, right. just like, you know, positive psychology doesn't supplant difficult emotions it does it's just like you I, i'm going to think so many positive thoughts right in a row all the time that like i'm never going to feel this thing it's like what we deny you know is going right. to come back to bite us so i think you know there's all of that that's true as well yeah and then there's the extreme negatives of thinking if if I only believe a hundred percent I can materialize oh. you know a Porsche or a husband or a wife you know or there's this law of positive attraction that's you know gonna magically deliver things and it's like no 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 that's no, actually please. I want to talk about that a minute because um please because this this law of attraction, um, model is which isn't a law it's really <laughs> it's not scientific really frightening to me a lot of the times mm. and there's a woman the woman who wrote the book the secret um mm -hmm. also wrote a book called magic or something and it's all about gratitude and it's about mm. gratitude as the that when you're grateful nothing no negative thoughts will come your way. You will have the relationships of your dream. Like it's, it sells gratitude in the most frightening commodified way. And it's so prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And so when people, then it's this whole thing of you get scared when you do have a negative thought or you don't feel grateful all the time. And that that's to me the worst. Like that was what I dealt with when I had cancer too, which was this whole idea that, you could live if you wanted to live the belief like right so that only yeah, you can people... undo your cancer or or why the worst is like why did you create the cancer right. steve what was it that you're trying to get people's attention right and i'm like no right maybe i wasn't sleeping enough and i was working too hard and my immune system broke down that's but... right i mean who who knows but also just to say that right. there are things that are mysterious in life right like it's not like you because you have cancer you chose to have it and and if you die of cancer, it's not because you didn't want to live. And that's a exactly. sales job that's out there, I think, sometimes in some people's minds that's very self, um, as long as you don't have cancer, and as long as you're <laughs> as long as you didn't die, nobody you love died from it, you can kind of walk around and go like, oh, okay, I the fountain of youth is mine and I can do all these things and I'm gonna prevent death and I'm gonna prevent disease. And but the truth is. It's a lot more, um, 
it's a lot more complicated than that. And yeah, complex was the word I was coming up with. Yeah. It's just life is very complex and we live in a mystery. Yeah. I mean, we, we look at outer space and dark matter comprises 99% of what's out there and we have no idea what it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, huh? Right. And if you choose to kind of be in awe of life instead of needing to make everything decomplexifying, you know, so the simplifications don't mm. really work. So, but I think, mm -hmm. I think those, you know, I have a friend who was um, part of a spiritual community and, um, and she talks about the danger of concepts, you know, that these, we get these concepts mm. and certain concepts are really sold um, as be all end alls and they're one size fits all. And, um, and so I think, I think, you know, what I would just say is just, I think this idea of living gratefully, it is something that can coexist with all other things so that what mm -hmm. we do is we just return to it. It's not like it's, oh my God, look at, I, I just have spent the past 25 minutes not being grateful. I better get back to being grateful. It's like, oh yeah, I can reframe my experience. I can I can get a, a larger perspective on, on what's happening right now. I can remember that, you know, um, oh, all the different things of just what is extraordinary about the day or where there are blessings in the day or what we have the opportunity to, to cultivate and, and to be with. Mm -hmm. So just, I think losing sight of that is really the hardest part of all. Yeah. So I also want to just share because I do a lot of religious, you know, cult counseling. So, of course, I've had to study the major religions. And it seems to me that the great commandment of loving God with all your heart, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as you love yourself, mm. you know, for me, and I belong to a, a, a renewal temple for 24 years, and my, the founding rabbi was asked to go meet the Dalai Lama mm. uh, to explain how the Jews survived in exile when, when because of Chinese um, in, attacks and yeah. exploitation of the Tibetan people. Um, anyway, the idea of all your heart includes your negative emotions. It's true. Like most people don't realize that. Loving others, okay, but you have to love yourself mm -hmm. to really have that mm -hmm. connection on all levels. And a lot of people get into spiritual practices where they're denying their self, they're, they're hating their body, you know, and, and other kinds of less loving <laughs> connections. Uh, to, to what totally. No, and I'm sorry to interrupt you with my my feeling no that, i i and contradict me if you don't no, agree I'm with just anything thinking that I because of what i'm thinking mm. is that loving other people if we really abide by that you know to love all others <laughs> um is is again in this really beautiful way dangerous it's dangerous to mm -hmm. ideology because you're open to other people's ideas. You're open to being changed. You're open to being, you know, I think, I think about um, the grandson of, was it David Duke from the KKK? One of the most powerful interviews I've ever heard was about 
when he met the Jewish his Jewish friend. Yeah, who came over for Shabbat dinner. Shabbat dinner. dinner. He was raised to hate Jews and think how horrible they were. And it was like, I like these people. These right. are cool. Like, but how made them question how that came about exactly is through this young, beautiful Jewish man not having an agenda, but just committing to loving this person. And then and slowly this young man who had been raised with all of this incredibly horrible racist um, and ethnocentric, you know, ideology was transformed slowly in this way that is so beautiful. But if you say like so many ideologies do, like it's only, it's only us people who look like me, people who act like me. And so become more ideologically insular all the time. Yeah. Nobody threatens your ways of thinking. Whereas love is open. A love opens mm -hmm. itself. If you're going to love other people to in being influenced in a way by them, but equally not sure. just like one person, but just I'm open and therefore um, I'm not controllable. Right. The, one of the keys is like knowing yourself, being, being present to what are my values. Yeah. And um, I've been, saying for 46 years that when when you're meeting someone who's a neo-nazi you know fascist who's yelling at you it's hard not to get defensive or reactive and be angry at them but in my mind i'm i'm telling myself underneath it is a person who's really in a lot of pain mm -hmm. and has has been treated really badly and there's hope that they can wake up. So I always have the attitude of don't like the behavior, yeah. don't like the beliefs, but go for the beingness. And if you're kind and if you're respectful and you ask questions like, help me understand yeah. your beliefs, it opens a, a channel to reciprocate. So you have a chance potentially to also influence them. Totally true and really hard practice. When someone yes. is, you know, um, you know, it's interesting because um, my partner is a woman. I will just say, you know, and I don't talk about that very mm -hmm. often. Um, mm -hmm. But I made a choice later in life to be in love with a woman, and you know, no matter how people feel, I kind of go, oh God, now you know what will people think. But what's interesting is also, too, that, you know, there were people in the beginning who said, oh, I always who wrote and said, I always had these ideas about gay people. And because you are who you are and you're out there, all of a sudden I've got it's contradicting what I was told mm. was true. And so the willingness, maybe one of the most courageous things that any of us have the ability to do is to be ourselves fully and <laughs> and to uh, allow ourselves to be seen and allow ourselves to to be loving and to love other people and to be loved in this way that opens the heart against all of that narrowing that so many yes. ideologies want to do and life wants to do so you know i just think it's been really some of the more powerful things for me have been when when people have had assumptions about me that I've been mm -hmm. able to just by being who I am kind of mm -hmm. crack open and help something become more expansive in them. 
Yeah, you're being a role model. It's really you're 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 you know you're sharing your journey. Yeah, and you're a teacher. Like you have that heart in you to want to not just practice it for yourself, but you get joy. That's my projection onto having listened to your book. But that I get joy out of helping people. Right. That's why I do it. Right. And I think here's the truth for like almost everybody listening is, you know, what are those truths about ourselves that we can share that set other people free? So Mm. what are the truths about ourselves that we often put in the closet, hide, don't tell? And when people have been, when people really come forth and share their authentic experiences and share what's been painful and, and talk about their stories, it liberates so many other people who are, who feel so isolated and alone and and pathologized because of their uh, because of their experience and so there's like who are we to keep those things to ourselves in some ways sometimes i think you know to <laughs> sure yeah it's an invitation sure and i having having been trained to do couples counseling over the decades and and having been in couples counseling myself with my wife um understanding that a, a good partner accepts you mm-hmm. and doesn't try to change you mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but so many people get into relationships and they're like oh i don't like this about him or her mm-hmm. and i'll fix them but they're not asking to be fixed yeah I remember going to a workshop a long time ago called um, Harville Hendricks, right? Getting the love you need and getting Mm -hmm. the love you need. What he said was, I've got bad news for all of you who've come here because um, it means giving the love that is needed. (laughs) So it's like, oh, all these people brought their partners, towed them along on leashes and stuff and said, "Let's, um, let's go to this workshop because I need to get the love I need. And meanwhile, so mm-hmm. what What he and his wife, Helen, said is, for those of you who brought your partner thinking you were going to get the love you needed, what's really needed is for you to give the love that is needed. Otherwise, you're not going to get the love that's needed. So it's, yeah, yeah it's pretty, it's yeah. a pretty simple prescription there, but um, it's a- Yeah, I was just going to add, because I'm familiar with his work, of course, that his thesis is that we seek out partners- yeah who have positive and negative attributes of our parents and that on an unconscious level, we're trying to heal ourselves so, from our, from our childhood with our, our parents. Yeah. And yet we also want to just absolutely strip away all those things about that person that are different than we are. And that I want you to be more like me, right? Which means that there's not only not healing, but there's not a lot of learning and there's all that, like the illusion of control that we actually can change somebody. It's so liberating to accept somebody else. And I think, you know, I, just to return to grateful living a little bit is, is, to, is to say, I think it's, it's really powerful to practice gratefulness, to practice being appreciative in our relationships, especially in the relationships that we're closest to and to watch how they transform because we one of the things I say is that we really forget that this person who we live with, just like we at the end of any day that's been full and rich and provocative and interesting, 
or hard mm-hmm. or beautiful or whatever. We're a different person at the end of the day, but we completely mm-hmm. forget that our partners are not the same person who left the house in the morning or who we had dinner with last night. And so we stop being curious and we stop um, all of, we stop appreciating the presence of the other person. Mm. And if there were ever a realm of taking for granted, it's intimate relationships. You know, I think we really yeah. just, okay, well now I've got you. Now I don't have to worry about you. So now I'm just going to go and worry about everything else and um, focus on other things. And I think turning appreciation towards our relationships, it's um, really, it's a way to make your relationships flourish. And it's so gorgeous when it happens because you realize Mm -hmm. it costs you nothing. And Mm -hmm. to be generous and to acknowledge, it's really very powerful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, And it's liberating. And as someone who's worked with former neo-Nazis and other people in hate groups, they all report how hard it is to hate all the time. Mm. Like it's so debilitating and so narrowing. Mm. And and I you know I I agree with you that life is about growth and appreciation mm-hmm. and realizing not not putting people in boxes and thinking they're static forever, but this this wonder yeah. and awe, wonder and awe. You know, and curiosity. I love that you brought up the word curiosity. So Having an attitude, the opposite of I know it all. Mm-hmm. I'm an expert. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and thank you for being curious about this work and about being open to it. So, like we're only enriched, right, by all those things that we add into our to our quiver, to our lexicon, to our tool belt, or all those things. It's like take in more and more and more. Trust yourself as a person who can filter and discern and 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 you enrich whatever is the the core basis of who you are. You just keep adding to that, and it's mm. it's truly delightful. And I think mm. what a great way to. I, I really think that people, you know, back to being grateful again. People will say to me like, "How can you be grateful? There's so much awful stuff in the world, and it's really mm. true. And what's what's important is you." It's this way of being doesn't ask us to be grateful for everything that happens, but it says if you can hold that gratefulness of heart, then you're holding also the balance. When things are super hard, you're not forgetting that life is also magical and that love is extraordinary and that the natural world is enough to blow your socks off and that, you know, the stars at night. And like, so you hold that sense at the same time as you hold the difficulties. And in that balance, Mm -hmm. we're way more likely to be, you know, um, effective in our lives and more joyful in our lives and everything. So I just think I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, it's not that we have to forsake what's hard. It's that we have mm-hmm. to understand that being grateful is also really called for. And yeah. 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 And, and um, you know, a lot of religions have prayer mm-hmm. as a major activity. Mm. And at least in my experience, interact with people, they can get automatized to just repeating the words. Right. But I think what's what it's really about is if you're saying a prayer over food, like acknowledge <laughs> the, the miraculous 
aspects of this food and what it, how the colors That's and right. the texture and the smells and I think and, right and, on like it's like to say grace think how many people say grace and it's like they just they know it by heart it's rote they don't you know or you know exactly. your little prayers that you say and stuff but it doesn't really mean anything instead to I remember when somebody said try to find a real food try to find a food that does not um, connect to the earth like think about how everything on your plate, if it's not synthetic, is connected to the earth in some way from salt to pepper to, you know, to meat, to vegetables, to fruits, to starches and drinks. And to think of all of what it took to get it there. You know, mm -hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh really talks about this is the food, your food is nothing short of a miracle. And if you take it into your body as this extraordinary, miraculous thing that it is, it's more likely mm -hmm. to actually be, you know, you're more likely to savor it. You're going to eat more slowly. It's not that it's magic. And it's like, if you mm -hmm. eat, you know, but it's more like, if you really, if you appreciate your food, you're going to savor it. If you appreciate people, yeah. you're going to savor them. If you appreciate your moments, you're going to savor them. You're going to be much more likely to want to live really fully into the opportunities that life has given you. So why yeah. not? I mean, you've got nothing to lose, <laughs> really. No, and... And I, I guess I also want to comment that um, this this being philosophy practice um, isn't intellectual mm -hmm. and it's not emotional. It's beingness practice, mm -hmm. and like we we now know we think with our guts too. Mm -hmm. We have neurons in our mm -hmm. in, in our guts. Mm -hmm. It's not just up here, and that. So many people I've worked with over the decades, I'd say, think back to your first exposure to the cult leader. What, what's your recollection of that? Oh, I thought he was crazy. Or I had this knot in my stomach. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm like, okay, now you're going to remember. Yeah. You're going to connect that, that you should always listen to what your body's telling you Beautiful. and make it yourself curious and go, what's that about? I'm having a knot in my stomach. That's not a good feeling. That's right. That's, you I know, think that's an early warning system. Yes. <laughs> in many cases as well. Yep. Notice how your body, how your body's experiencing your life and how your thoughts affect your body and your, your experience. So it's like, it's a big cycle. And, um, you know, there's, Great. I think that whole, that whole th the idea of beingness is not something I've talked about much, but I like it because there's all these different ways of being and there's well-being. So, you know, yes. what is contributing to your well-being and how mm. can you enhance your well-being, which is just the being well in your mind, mm -hmm. body, spirit, you know, and your heart. And I think there's so much opportunity for that. And certainly appreciating what's here in life right now is a fabulous and pretty expedient pathway <laughs> to yeah. connecting with well-being. So, so tell our audience a little bit more about your nonprofit sure. that you're the executive director mm, of, please. Thank you. Um, so I've been the executive director for eight and a half years. It's called a network for grateful living, but we're about to change our name to grateful living um, just to make it a little bit shorter and easier. Um, we have a gorgeous website uh, at gratefulness.org. And what that is, is it's just tons and tons and tons of inspiration and practices and invitations and images and things that help us. Because one of the things that I say is, 
you can't just say, oh, I want to be more grateful all the time because it's going to go away. It's like you have to feed it. Like you have to feed a plant. You have to nourish your commitment. And so what we mm -hmm. do is we offer the nourishment for the practice of, you know, to keep coming back and just say, okay, you know, here's a quote, here's a question that helps me remember. And the big thing is perspective. So I think what we do is we really help people have perspective on their experience of life. Mm -hmm. And perspective mm -hmm. is dangerous to people who don't want you to have perspective, but it's hmm. so rich what because it it broadens our view it allows us to take the viewpoint of other people it allows us to see who we are and where we are from much bigger vantage points it's it it makes more vast and also more granular our experience of life so i think perspective is really important and how we bring perspective into our lives those are kind of the things that we we want to, those are very personal and, and the website is, gives tons of that. And so Grateful Living, a network for Grateful Living, the book is, was, was really a joy to, you know, to leave to the world in some way. I hope it contributes. And well, I, I rarely, I mean, I read a lot of books and I almost never finish a book and go, I agree with everything. <laughs> like there wasn't anything I disagreed with. That's it was very, it was very extraordinary. But it was, I just want to say for my listeners, Thank it was you. uplifting. Thank I, you. It was like a shot of hope <laughs> and goodness. You know, that's something. To, to yeah, thank you. I, I yeah, I mean it. It was hard really to do. write. It's hard. It was my first book. It's not easy to write a book. It was so. So I'm done for. I know very I know. well. <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful to you for this support and praise because it's I take it really to heart from you and because especially you're an accomplished writer and so for me I, you know I'm so humble about it and I just I literally my prayer is that it serves period that it just yeah. and that it speaks to people well I really believe uh, that take my word for it you listeners <laughs> uh, you. if you listen to this book you will thank me I believe mm. and I just want to come back to what you were saying before about perspective because mm -hmm. it's such critical part of my work yeah good because the cure to blind faith mm. is perspective mm. being able to step out of the worldview of totally. the cult mm -hmm. the authoritarian, and look at it from an ex-member's point of view, or mm -hmm. from a theologian's point of view, or a, a spiritual teacher's point of view. Um, and I just want to do a, a shout out to Adam Grant's book, mm -hmm. Think Again. Oh, what a good Adam good Grant writer. is a social psychologist. And he basically in this book said, like, separate your ego from your beliefs. Like, beliefs can change. Just be open to learning and be curious mm. and ask questions mm. and expand uh, towards a, a more robust, f you know, uh, full future. Beautiful. And I love that. I do too. I love him. I love his work. And um, yeah, so, you know, onward we go, all of us. Yes, thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. We're wrapping thank up. Thank you so much for and, this time. And and your center is based in Massachusetts. It's virtual. We're you know I'm based ah. in Massachusetts, but um, but I think you know. Oh, I want to say one thing, which is if you listen to the book, also it's really good to have it um, written too, because people say they dog ear the pages and they underline things, and the tactile sense of the book itself is also something for a lot of people that really works. So find the way that works. I'm going to buy the paperback <laughs> too. Great, and it's coming out I, paperback next year. Thank you. Uh, okay, great. So thank you so much. And, uh, 
and uh, we'll be in touch in the future. I Thank hope you. so. I'm really privileged for this right. time. Thanks, everyone. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.